0: This is Anthony Neal Smith, I am the author of Doggin' and Yellow Medicine, and these two guys are blackmailing me to tell you to listen to a Booked podcast. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Tonight's episode is
1: our second, what we call around here, interlude episode. What does that mean? Well, we didn't read a book this week. That's the first thing it means. Um, Second, it's uh, just one of those episodes where we want to to talk about some other book-related topics. Um, We actually are going to be doing a short review later of Axel Tayari's um, A Light to Starve By. But first, we've got some other topics to talk about, some things to plug and mention, just some general thoughts. Uh, we're going to kick it off here first um, for our newer listeners. Um, and even for some of the ones who have listened before,
0: kind of a more of an in-depth look at what it is we do and why we do it. First off, Livius, uh, I think it would be nice if we kind of just started by telling everybody why we do this podcast. And what do you think about each giving our own little stories? Yeah, why do I do this? Um, well, you know, it's...
1: Lifelong love of books, all types of books, um, especially books that are original. I like reading them and I like having someone to talk to about them. Be honest, I'm not much of a person who's going to post on forums on the internet, and I find that I don't know very many readers, and the few that I do don't necessarily read the same things as I do. So this gives me a forum to, to talk with someone to talk with a good friend, somebody who's uh, you know got the same opinions and you know or the same likes and interests as I do in most cases, and kind of dissect the books. That's why I do this.
0: Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I guess, for me, the original motivation was that I've had you know years and years of talking to Livius about books, and I've found through those years that some of the books that have stuck with me the most are the ones that he's you know he's suggested to me or he heard about through a friend or however he found out about them that i never would have had you know that kind of access to a book and i've really grown to value that and so i wanted to kind of project that outwards to be honest a lot of the podcasts out there that talk about books if not all of them really touch on like livius was saying the new york Times bestsellers and they're i don't know it's it doesn't seem like it's a common everyday reader talking about books it's you know a little too stuffy and boring for me. So I, I liked the idea of having a podcast where it was just two guys who read a book and they're talking about it and what they liked and what they didn't like and really focusing on if we didn't like the book, we could still say, but you may like this or make suggestions that we thought were of higher quality or things like that so that um, not only are we just saying thumbs up or thumbs down to a book, but we're also we're trying to expand people's bookshelves, I guess.
1: And that's it's sharing our unsolicited opinions with the masses is is what it is. Again, you know, it's given it's given me an opportunity to have some really good conversations with Rob and to kind of share my thoughts with some other people that listen about, you know, a particular book. Uh, Most recently, it's, um, you know, allowed me to talk to two different authors of books and kind of get their input and thoughts on it, which is so cool. It's it's definitely been the highlight of this podcast for me.
0: Yeah, that unintended consequence that we kind of got—we didn't really think about when we first started this—was that like now we are interacting with a lot of the authors and stuff. I just always imagine we'd be talking to other readers and everything and making suggestions, but we're really interacting with kind of readers and authors and getting a lot of very positive feedback, which is very gratifying.
1: So yeah, that, thats what he imagined. I imagined we'd do three episodes and no one would ever hear them. <laughs> so we're a little bit ahead of. <laughs> i set out to go which was three <laughs> episodes that nobody would hear so it's just fantastic um the support from fans has been really terrific too the biggest question i get from people is how do we pick the books so we're gonna give you uh, here a couple minutes an in-depth look on the intricate system that that is um that is how we pick the next book to read
0: Which is a lot of us just like freaking out at each other saying we have like five days left to read a book and review it and trying frantically to find out where where it's coming from. Yeah, we don't have um, a real rigid criteria. I don't know that we will ever
1: have a rigid criteria for how we pick our books. Um, It's tough because we're basically knocking down a book a week and then working full-time jobs and doing the podcast and doing the other things we do as a part of everyday life. So some of that has to be books we already want to read. Um, some may consider that cheating or, or whatever. But yeah, I mean, we're planning on reading 50-ish books this year. Some of those have to be at least a few of the ones that I wanted to read all along. And I'll occasionally cram one in during an interlude week or you know a long weekend or something. But yeah, some of it is just stuff we genuinely just want to read.
0: And as far as process goes, you would think that the typical book review situation would be Publishers or authors reach out to you, say, "I've got this book that's coming out. Why don't you read it and um, talk about it on your podcast?" Which would be fantastic. I think that would be ideal, and I think that's what you know, where our goal is. But right now, we really just comb lists of books and um, see what people are talking about, find out something that's going to be somewhat timely or have a timely aspect to it, and then we, if we don't have an author like Caleb Ross or someone who you know, is nice enough to gift us a PDF or a Kindle copy, uh, we buy them and we read them. So it's a very <laughs> simple process. It's very us-motivated. And uh, hopefully, eventually, as as the podcast grows, we will have more contact with publishers and authors and stuff and, yeah, kind of have a wider selection. Not Not to say at all that the stuff that we've had so far... With slim Pickens, we've had some really, really, really great books, um, but it would just be nice to have—I don't know—just an easier uh, access to a, a variety of books.
1: Yeah, and the other thing that that comes into that is we don't we don't just want to read blockbuster bestsellers. We'd like to do some of that because they are books we're interested in or they have some literary merit. The Pale King which if any of you have listened to that episode, I wasn't a huge fan of, but I wanted to read it. It had some some literary merit. In the Garden of Beasts, in my opinion, was a follow-up to probably one of the best-selling nonfiction books of all time, um, Devil in the White City. So again, some literary merit there. So that's some of what's behind why we picked those books. Um, Anthony Neal Smith, an opportunity to read re-releases of two of my favorite books. You know, So we read them, we reviewed them. It was the first time for Rob. I mean, there is no... Again, no formula. Um, We'd like to, or at least I like to think in the back of my head, we do two large release books. We do a smaller author or two, maybe an interlude episode, hopefully some more interviews. But yeah, we really don't know what's next until we're recording an episode and have to figure out what's
0: next and really it's all about opportunity too not that we're going to just keep dragging on this conversation forever but like if a book comes up and the timing looks right and you know maybe we can interact with the author or schedule like to talk to them or something we're going to go for it so some things might get pushed but yeah like to kind of sum it up it's a it's a mix of wanting to get at the bigger books plus getting at uh, some of the authors that we like or we sound interesting and want to get to know more
1: okay Now, the how of how we do it, um, and we'll do this really quickly, um, partially because I need to apologize to all of our early listeners. Um, We do this from about 900 miles apart. Rob's in Vermont. I'm in Illinois. Um, We get on Skype once a week, or in some cases like this last week, four times in a week, Mm -hmm. and we record an episode. So to those of you who listen to episodes one through four... That was four different attempts at four different mic setups um, until I found one that worked. So I know they're horrible and they're unlistenable, and I keep asking Rob either to let us re-record them completely <laughs> or to take them off the site because they're that embarrassingly bad. But uh, that's a little bit of how we do it. Rob can tell you about the rest of the grueling process that I don't have to deal with.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like we um, bought a kit to build a boat, uh, you know, intending to sail around the world. That's kind of how it started. But uh it's funny we we've been doing this now this is our 13th episode and we tried we started out kind of just every doing everything equally between us because neither of us had ever done a podcast before but as time has gone by we've kind of fallen into roles where i do the editing i edit all the audio and so all the mistakes are my fault and i do a lot of stuff with the website i post the uh, i post the episodes i do all the stuff with itunes and everything like that and livius has really fallen into a marketing and communications and branding kind of role where he's the one that r- usually talks to the authors and he makes up the bookmarks and he was at the printer's row handing out bookmarks and promoting our giveaways and stuff like that. So just ra- randomly and really, really, it's really great that it happened, Livius and I fell into roles that we we really thrive in and I think that, that makes this process a whole lot easier.
1: Yeah, I, I really like that portion of it um i'd like to help out more on the tech aspects i think rob's petrified that i'm going to try to update the website or post something on facebook which apparently i'm not very good at doing um (laughs) but yeah i think it's great just trying out there and spread the word and i'm you know very appreciative to rob for all the hard work he puts in behind the scenes too it's really gelled well to to turn into something pretty cool that we both enjoy doing and it's not um as laborious as i uh originally thought it would be
0: and um one of the benefits, like I said before, that we didn't really anticipate—or at least not yet—is the author interviews. Uh, kind of, it was his baby, and he really put a lot of energy into that. So let's talk. You want to talk about author interviews a little bit?
1: Yeah, getting to interview two authors. It, here's how it is: I have this kind of like yearbook page of photos with these authors on there, and then once we actually get them on for an interview, I draw a long, you know, like a big black <laughs> X right through their face. It's very serial killer-ish. It's very creepy. I keep it up on the wall in my bedroom. No, I didn't think that episodes, you know, eleven and twelve would be author interviews. That's something that I thought way, way, way down the way, you know, we might be able to score one. But Caleb J. Ross and Anthony Neal Smith were both gracious enough to uh, to come on the show and give us a bunch of their time and deal with our crap, so we can make an episode for other people here where we get to talk to published authors. Um, very envious of both of them and their writing skills and their storytelling skills but it was just great to have them on on the show and you know have them give us a glimpse behind the curtain of what goes on you know in their writing process and their story process and even you know some pretty good conversation about the publishing process which isn't something I I'd ever really given any thought to but um, we spent quite a bit of time with Anthony Neal Smith talking about just publishers and how that whole thing works and I learned quite a bit it's just fantastic to
0: have had them on. And here's the thing, there were two really, really interesting interview episodes back to back, and then we're following it with us talking about our podcast, so maybe we shot ourselves in the foot a little bit.
1: Oh, yeah, that doesn't make me nervous at all about going <laughs> on with this. Um, anyway, we'd love to do more author interviews. If you're an author, if you are friends with an author, um, if there's someone you want us to talk to that you have a way for us to get into contact with, and we can, A, fit it into our show, B, um, actually get to talk to the author i'm totally willing to do it Um, rob and i were talking earlier about not necessarily even having to have read somebody's book if they have a book that's coming out that they want to promote and you know we can talk to them and kind of pick their brain about it before it comes out and then possibly review it afterwards so it's definitely something we'd like to do you know all the contact information's on the website and i'm sure rob will roll it all off to you at the end of the episode as well
0: in addition to uh, if you have an author that you're interested in that you think you might have some way of connecting us, there's also just recommendations in general um, of books and stuff like that. If uh, you know of a book that you think would be nice for us to read and do a review about, we, we don't hear about everything, so any kind of insight would be great. Uh, recommendations are greatly, greatly appreciated.
1: All right. Um, I think that about does it for talking about ourselves because Rob (laughs) just made me horribly nervous about following up two great interviews with me, just (laughs) spouting off about different things. So let's let's talk about something else. This last week saw the launch of the Dirty Noir website, um, Dirty Noir, D-I-R-T-Y-N-O-I-R dot com. It's uh, a zine that's going to be monthly. They will have a number of short noir um, stories. Their launch had six and then weekly they'll be doing a separate short story uh which actually released on wednesday a couple days ago
0: yeah it looks like a an interesting exciting new website and everything i haven't had time actually since it launched to go look at it yet mostly because i've been cutting three episodes of the the podcast to get them up for everybody but uh have you i don't know if you've had have you had a chance to go over there and read anything
1: i did i think it was the day after launch i saw it on twitter and i uh I read the six stories, five of which were absolutely fantastic. The sixth one was still really good, um, not going to mention which ones those were, <laughs> but a little bit about the, the website itself. Um, author Doc O'Donnell, um, who's an Australian author, this is, uh, this is his baby, he's the publisher for the website. I believe he does all of the, uh, the editing as well. It's a really neat looking website. They're weekly going to feature one story and then monthly have a larger uh, larger release. Um, it's a really nice looking website. He actually is going to be updating the art on it every month, apparently, which is a lofty goal in my opinion. Since <laughs> I think our website will stay the way it is for for a few years before we get around to redesigning it. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> the authors featured in the first zine, and I'm probably going to butcher some of these names, but um, Doc O'Donnell himself, Edward J. Rathke, McKay Williams, Richard Thomas, Andre Bergen, and David James Keaton. Um, all the stories are really fantastic. Um, this week's story I haven't read yet. It's by Chris Deal. I actually started trying to read it in a Starbucks today, and it's so loud, loud and noisy I couldn't concentrate on it. And it's the only reason I don't have uh, that to review for you tonight.
0: Great. So if you get a chance, go check out Dirty Noir. I'm assuming it's all free reads over there?
1: It is all free reads, and they're all short stories. I mean, this is something you could read, knock out a couple on your smartphone on lunch and, and pass the time in a, in a worthwhile fashion.
0: And even though this isn't, strictly speaking, a review episode, uh, we are going to talk about a short story called A Light to Starve By by Axel Tayari. Uh, It was originally published in the anthology Eternal Night, a vampire anthology, in January of 2010. Livius, why don't you tell us a little bit about the story? It's a vampire story.
1: It's uh, set in the near future in Paris. Uh, Vampires have been outed, um, as have werewolves and other things that go bump in the night humanity has fought back and uh vampires are back in the minority and basically on the run at this point um our protagonist is uh, nameless and he's been uh, watching over the love of his life for years and years and uh, one day she goes missing the story is more intricate than that and again it's it comes in at just under 30 pages so i don't want to give away too much it is not okay i read a lot a lot of vampire fiction Um, most of it in my youth. Uh, Most recently I did, and I'm going to say it right here on the show, I did read all of the Stephanie Meyer's books, the Twilight books. I actually found them to be kind of fun and a great way to pass time. Not great literature, but they were readable. This is not that (laughs) vampire story. (laughs) This is quite possibly the opposite of Stephanie Meyer's work. The basics of it is um, humans have gotten wise to vampires and they now drink a potion or however they get this this vaccination that makes their blood poisonous to vampires and it's about a vampire's struggle to survive in the uh in the post-vampire human war world so to speak
0: yeah there's a lot of things about this story that okay and before i start talking about all the things that i thought were really cool about it uh reminder what is this 29 pages i think yes it's a very short story but there's a lot of really fascinating things he does. He does with the the story in such a small amount of space. For example, this whole idea of humans vaccinating their blood so that it's poisonous to vampires, uh, and and reading this from the perspective of a vampire, it feels very post-apocalyptic. Even though there was no apocalypse, but I mean, you know, in a way there kind of was. So that's a really interesting twist and. And the way the story starts is vague enough where I'm thinking to myself, man, what happened? And then as as a few pages go by, you kind of learn about the vaccine and what it's done to the vampire population. So right out of the gate, a very, very, uh, at least a twist or a a way to tell the story that I haven't seen before.
1: Yeah, he manages to build a really large story in a very, very short space of time, which is... um you know, is going to go directly to the credit of his writing abilities. This should have been a much larger, larger story. This is this is what he put in here is the makings of a novel-length story. And after I read it, I sat down and I was thinking about some of the concepts and thinking about you know just what I thought about it. and I was getting ready to make my notes, and I thought like it was hard to believe that I got all that information in twenty-nine short pages. A mm-hmm. so, fairly well-developed main character in that time, as again we see the story through his eyes was able to kind of paint this picture of vampire clans and werewolves and these other vampires that have like mental powers and and develop a story you know within that world all in that very short time frame and I think he did a fantastic job doing it
0: yeah and even within the basic framework of the story and everything I mean he sets this really really for the space he had a very elaborate background but then he go he goes in different directions like parts of the story are very, very violent, and um, there's a lot of action, fighting, and stuff like that, things like that, um, but there's other parts of the story that, even as I was reading them, I was thinking, I can't believe how touching some of these moments that he has with um, the this kind of, this love of his life that he's seeing from afar, and how simply it was that that they, that these touching moments were conveyed but how i guess how deep they they felt to me it was really surprising and in, in such a i can't i don't want to keep saying it in such a tiny story but really i mean he does a great job of really fleshing things out in uh, almost no space at all
1: i mean comparatively speaking the average book that you know we've been reading is probably around the 300 page mark some shorter some really considerably longer you know, this one had all the chops to be one of those novels, but uh, yet he chose to, to do it in a short format. I typically have a lot of trouble with 30-page stories, and see if you can kind of follow my deal here. Normally, <laughs> a really, really short story, and I'm going anywhere from 200 words to, you know, five pages, can be very, very impactful because of how quickly the author can draw you into a story, Okay. Typically, anything beyond that, you know, whatever, five, six-page story, you have to get up, in my opinion, up into the 150-page range to be able to flesh out a story well enough for me to care about it. Axel was able to do that in 29 pages. (laughs) Um, Well, for a comparison, I recently, months ago, read Stephen King's latest short story compilation. The name escapes me now. At any rate, there were four stories, I think. One of them was... 29 30 pages the rest of them were anywhere from you know 50 to 100 and not one of them had any impact on me they were all too short to be put together real well or too long to be impactful because of the length and what he's done here is he's given us a very impactful story in 30 pages you know kind of in that middle ground like in my opinion he passed the point where because of length it's impactful but he didn't have to go the extra 150 pages to get it to where it would draw me in. he was able to do that in a nice mid-size lunchtime read length story
0: yeah I'll agree I think that short stories um, can be an attractive way to go for writers because it's a smaller space uh, that and you have less things that you need to develop in detail and everything so it seems easier but to really be an effective short story um, you have to be very thoughtful of how you lay out your story and, and the elements that go into it. And I think I read many, many times from different people that every, practically every word that goes into a short story matters. You can't have frivolous words, the words that you have in there have to be the right meaning, you know, they have to be in the right places and everything like that. So there's, you know, a terrific amount of effort that goes into writing a short story if you want it to be a good quality short story, like Livia said, that, that has meaning to you. And I think that, uh. Axel did that with this story. He did a great job of putting together something that was, at the same time, it's a snapshot of something much bigger, but it still exists as an individual story, uh, start to finish of its own. Kind of to elaborate on what I said and to give an example,
1: there's a famous uh, Ernest Hemingway short story. It's six words. It's for sale, baby shoes, never worn. We'll give that a second to sink in. (laughs) <laughs> that tells a much bigger story than the six words that are there, but the only reason it has any impact is that it's done in six words. If I were to have read three paragraphs about that, there would be no impact. And that's what I'm saying. He has taken that middle ground that, in my opinion, is very hard to do an impactful story in and done just that. So with that being said, Rob is going to do a couple of quotes for you from the story, as we like to do here on Booked. Um, the only reason we're not both doing quotes at 29 pages, if we both did quotes, we'd basically be reading you the story and that's not fair to you because you're going to want to read the story yourself. (laughs) So Rob, whenever you're ready.
0: Okay. This first quote that I have, uh, the, the story again is called a light to starve by. And so I thought one of the quotes that I should share with you is kind of his explanation of what it's like to be a starving vampire but spend enough weeks without a hint of blood and your fat and muscles flutter away black bags pop out from under your eyes and your skin turns chalk white you lose control of your extremities your reflexes as torpid as underwater uppercuts rot resuming its march and jet lagging your neural circuits from beyond the grave
1: yeah that painted a pretty vivid picture of a starving vampire which is not something you read in vampire fiction a lot it's uh because it's almost always told from the other side. And when it's told from the vampire side, they're all really pretty. So I particularly <laughs> like that kind of description of what happens to one as they slowly, um, you know, starve to their second death or full death.
0: Okay. And the second quote I have is just kind of one of the more touching moments. To me, I think it was the most touching moment in the story. And I don't think that it's something that spoils anything. So here we go. Time scrambled her features into a patchwork of wrinkles. The decrepit ruin of old age... Unable to avoid, but her eyes have never changed. A loving blue a man could build a dream on. So in this short 29-page story, there's a lot of violence, a lot of uh, really just graphic depictions of really negative things, and within that is this little sparkle of light of, uh, of just this feeling that he has for someone. I thought it was uh, surprisingly touching for the tone of what most of the story was like.
1: Me throw in there too, and this is uh, throwing myself back a good twenty years, there's a lot of really cool vampire stuff in there too. <laughs> um, interesting tidbit after getting in touch with Axel um about his short story and reviewing it here on Booked. Um, we kinda had an email communication back and forth. And one of the things he mentioned, and I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning this on the on the podcast, he um He had kind of expressed some displeasure with the original anthology publication and in kind of just asking some question what he meant by that. It was published in the anthology as A Light to Starve (laughs) instead of A Light to Starve By because apparently the publisher, who didn't feel the need to send out um, advanced reader copies to any of the writers, even a PDF for them to go over, thought that it was um, A Light to Starve by Axel Tayari.
0: So they thought so the that was,
1: was the yeah. attribution. <laughs> His comment was he would never, ever end another story title with the word buy <laughs> a little bit about Axel and what he's got going on. Um, he appeared in eternal night, a vampire anthology that we just mentioned. I'm sure much to the publishers disgust, He is going to be, <laughs> this is kind of cool. We've mentioned warmed and bound on here, the velvet anthology that's coming out here at hopefully the end of July or early August Axel will be leading off that anthology with his short story that appears in there, which is very, very cool. You can catch him at his website, axeltayari.com. That's A-X-E-L-T-A-I-A-R-I.com. com. Um, you'll be able to find a link that's probably spelled and pronounced correctly on our website um, right below this, uh, this episode. You can get A Light to Starve By, for only 99 cents on Amazon, well worth the under a buck it's that or a uh, you know a cheeseburger from McDonald's, I would definitely go with this story instead. Um, he is also the uh, producer, along with Christopher Dwyer, who we reviewed on an earlier episode of Booked. They're the producer-slash-editors of RottenLeaves.com, which is making its comeback from a roughly six-month hiatus this Friday, uh, featuring a story by Stephen Graham Jones. It's going to be a short story of week with um, lots of articles, etc. So those links will all be available at bookpodcast.com. And Axel, thank you for giving us a chance to read a light to star by.
0: Okay, and as some of you may know, uh, we recently ran a contest. We were giving away signed copies of the Caleb J. Ross book, Stranger Will, along with um, some Kindle editions of that as well. And we have our three winners, so I just want to mention those people really quick. The winner of the grand prize bundle, which includes a uh, signed copy of Stranger Will and a signed copy of Caleb Ross's chapbook, Charactered Pieces, is. Uh, we're going to. I just have the Twitter handle, but I will. Uh, I'm going to assume it's the first initial is C, last name Shook, it's at C S H O O K on Twitter, gets the signed copies of the book, so congratulations for that. And the two winners of the Kindle editions of Stranger Will are. First, I'm going to say this wrong on purpose because it's a lot easier than trying to say it right. Uh, The Twitter handle is... (laughs) I'm just going to say Martini Monster. I don't really know what it is, but it's M-A-R-T-I-N-E-M-O-N-S-T-E-R. And the other winner... Sounds like
1: Martini Monster to
0: me. (laughs) I like to think that this is a Martini Monster. That's uh, that's won the book. The other winner of the Kindle edition is Mlas Corbiere. You might remember from an earlier... uh, Actually... How weird is it? the other interlude episode that we had? He was the person that suggested on Twitter that we uh, talk about... Livius? Anthropophagite. <laughs> so congratulations to Malaz and the Martini Monster for winning Kindle editions. Uh, all three people will be getting contacted either via Twitter or Facebook, however they got in touch with us. So keep an eye out for direct messages from us.
1: Yeah, hey, maybe um, Malaz or Mlaz or... Whatever, Mr. Corbier. Maybe he could be our Matt Damon, where we just mention him during every interlude episode for some reason or another.
0: I'm comfortable with that. He seems like an interesting guy. Yep. Okay, and that brings us to the portion of the
1: show where we're going to talk about what's going to be on our next full episode of Booked. Um, Robopocalypse by Daniel H. Wilson came out this past Tuesday from Doubleday Books. It's out in hardcover now at 368 pages. It's currently the Amazon, one of the Amazon best books of the month for June 2011.
0: The way that I came across this book is for anybody who's not a member of Goodreads, Goodreads will occasionally send out new release emails where they give you a list of books. And Robopocalypse was one of the books on the list. And I sent a message to Livia saying, hey, this looks interesting. Maybe we should read about this. And I think he just fully ignored me. Um, I, I, hold, on,
1: hold on a second. Let me confirm that for you. I fully ignored you.
0: <laughs> because so far, the books that I've recommended that we read <laughs> are um, books such as Sunset Park by Paul Auster, which Livius didn't end up caring for too much, uh, The Pale King by David Foster Wallace, which Livius all but hated, and In the Garden of Beasts, which is actually nonfiction, and Livius hates reading nonfiction. So 0 for 3 in book recommendations so far for this book. Uh, for this podcast, at least. And so I have to imagine that when I said, hey, RoboPocalypse, he just completely, you know, he just shut the door on me right away.
1: All right, which leads me to why we're reading RoboPocalypse. <laughs> because I was right. Because Rob was right. And this is uh, what looks like it's going to be a bestseller. Early reviews, you know, it's been touted by Stephen King and a slew of other, you know, mainstream authors as great stuff. It's currently, it was, they actually sold the rights to the book, uh, God, like a year ago. So it's going to be made into a movie. Steven Spielberg is going to be directing the movie. It just looks like this is going to be one of those summer bestsellers that uh, stays on the list for a while. So we want to see if we can get it to you. Well, maybe not first, but pretty early on.
0: Okay. And the reason that I decided I wanted to read it was um, I read a brief synopsis of it, which we can talk about in a little bit. And I just thought it was interesting. And I actually ran across, um, an article on IO9 which I'll link to on the blog post that talks about it's a there's a there's an excerpt from the book and then the author himself goes into an explanation of the science behind what he was writing and it was really interesting to see kind of side by side the the fiction and then what he used to put into this very intricate uh explanation of how these robots worked and stuff like that and i thought that was fascinating enough or i just didn't want to pass it up so had livius completely shut me down i was just gonna walk away from the podcast for good and go read Apocalypse*.
1: it's one of the things we could have mentioned earlier on one of us is walking away from the podcast for good about every 20 minutes or so (laughs) so if you're interested in co-hosting a podcast you can get a hold of me at uh at our email at bookpodcast.com so when we're looking for a replacement for Rob. The Here's the short version of what this book is about. It is after the, you know, Skynet inevitable robots <laughs> take over um, humanity. It's after that war, the humans have won, and it is a look back at some, what appear to be vignettes, much like World War Z, of that war and of acts of, Heroism and perhaps even depravity on the part of humans trying to survive in a world that's gone horribly wrong.
0: And a little bit more about the movie that's being developed. Uh, Livius name-drop Steven Spielberg. The person that's signed on to write the screenplay is Drew Goddard. And for anybody who doesn't know who he is, he was a writer on Joss Whedon TV shows Buffy, Angel. And he was a writer as well on the yet-to-be-released movie by Joss Whedon, Cabin in the Woods. Uh, he was also a writer on the J.J. Abrams show's Alias and uh, Lost, as well as uh, in the movie Cloverfield. So a lot of nerd cred to the person who's writing the screenplay for this movie. Yeah, it, Steven
1: Spielberg, who did AI, Artificial Intelligence, uh, many years ago, which was, I thought was a really good movie. It got panned by a lot of people. I initially didn't like the movie I saw it in the theater. I really didn't care for it, but subsequently after seeing it, and I think I watched it again, I decided it was actually, it was a little longer than it needed to be, but a good movie. So he's already tackled that artificial intelligence once. Let's see how he does um, a second time around.
0: Yeah, and to be honest, all this hype about the movie has filled me with a little bit of uh, hesitation about the book because, I mean, it's a lot of hype, and it's a lot of big names being thrown around, and hopefully... um. The book delivers as far as story goes. So, I'm a little nervous about what the quality of the book's going to be like. But from that little uh, little snippet that I read in the IO9 article, it's at least interesting enough to get me going.
1: So, that's going to be on our next full episode of Booked. Um, you know, real quick, if you don't already know, it's bookpodcast.com. We're on iTunes, bookpodcast, Twitter, at bookpodcast. Um, any other contact information you could ever need, you'll find on the website thank you so much for listening to this interlude episode and thank you for all the fan support and the little notes and everything else that have been sent to us. We really,
0: really appreciate it. All right. Sounds good. That's about it for book this week. I'm Rob Olson.
1: And I'm Olivia Sneddon. Keep reading.